0: Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, I didn't like Arthur's take. The most surprising brave season and not a realistic floor. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listening to podcasts get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So Arthur Blank was on with our afternoon show on the radio yesterday and he talked about a couple of different things regarding the Atlanta Falcons. And he talked about the idea of, you know, seven and 10 is no longer an acceptable season. And we expect to be better and, you know, have a winning record. And And he didn't really put parameters on what would be a successful season. And I still think that, you know, if they're nine and nine and eight, that could be a successful season under the right circumstances, but he didn't necessarily define all of that. But, one of the things that he did talk about was the idea of being in cap hell. I mean, and that's what he described it as. And, you know, the idea of obviously that we've had lots of dead money and he was explaining that and this, any other that that's really put the franchise behind and all this good kind of stuff. And my takeaway was, was this, <clears throat> are we still really blaming our salary cap situation for why we haven't been good for five years. You know, this is not a one year thing where we've been a bad team, took a step back and now we're on the right track because, you know, we live with some contracts or different things like this. This is five years of not being good. And Arthur was kind of selling it as the idea of that the salary cap has hurt us and, that's why we've been behind and this, then the other. I, I don't buy all that. You know, I, 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 again, if we're using salary cap and dead money that we had to pay players that weren't, because he said, specifically, we're paying players that were no longer here. That's life in the NFL. That, that, that's the way the NFL works. I mean, unfortunately it's, it's not an ideal situation, but that's the way life is in the NFL. Look, we have a team in our own division that has been in cap purgatory for a decade plus because they've moved money around or this, that, and the other, and they've maintained staying competitive in the New Orleans Saints. Do we really think that, and, and this this frustrates me when, when, when I, I think about all of this and, and just the idea of it, do we really think that the reason we've not been a good franchise for five years— is because of our salary cap situation and the money we paid and things like that. When you have a franchise quarterback and you have a Hall of Fame wide receiver, you're going to pay out money. You're not getting around that to be competitive and to be good. The problem is that the, here's here's what the reality is, okay? Because this, this frustrates the crap out of me when, when I think about this. Because, again, I know it's a convenient excuse well, it, it's our salary cap, and we couldn't sign players or this than the other. Could you draft players? Were, were you able to draft players? Could did, Were you able to do, not acquire players that you could draft? I mean, that that were impact players? We're where we're at, very simply. We're where we're at because we had one of the worst head coaches in the NFL and Dan Quinn who everybody was sold on, well, fast and furious, and all gas, no brakes, and iron sharpens iron, and do right longer, and embrace the suck, and the Bears loose, and all the catchphrases. But at the end of the day, he couldn't coach. Well, he got us to a Super Bowl. No, your quarterback got you to a Super Bowl. When you have the MVP of the league at quarterback, you usually end up playing in a conference championship or Super Bowl game. The reason we were we didn't have the Super Bowl trophy in the case is because of our head coach, but beyond that, Dan was not a very good head coach. He did not select, and and he and Thomas Dimitrov did not select good personnel. They got the one big year out of Vic Beasley. They got that one year where he led the league in sacks, and we could influence the line of scrimmage. More on that. But other than that. They didn't draft players that impacted the game. The Tack McKinleys and the Jalen Collins of the world. There were way too many misses in his regime. That's the first part. We didn't have a good head coach and we didn't develop our personnel. Secondly, we don't influence the game where it matters most. And look, obviously, now, you know, we're hoping that the fruits of our labor come to be. But if Kyle Pitts isn't Travis Kelsey, if Drake London isn't this top flight wide receiver or Bijan Robinson is just a good but not elite running back, then we're screwed because that's the players that we've invested our draft capital in. You know, you guys get on me because I keep saying about Kyle Pitts being Travis Kelsey. Well, for God's sakes, he has to be that level of player. I mean, reality is he has to be that level of player to, to justify that draft pick. You can't pick a guy fourth overall and have him be just a, a pretty good player, 1,026 yards with two touchdowns. Like, that's not where we influence the game. Travis Kelsey influences a football game. Kyle Pitts is not influence football games. And that's the difference. That it's very simple. You you don't have to go out and spend all kinds of free agent money to get your roster good. You have to draft well, develop your personnel, find you a bargain or two that outplays their contract as a free agent. Look at Cordero Patterson. You know, he didn't cost you that much money, but has he outplayed his contract? Absolutely. Absolutely, he's outplayed his contract. You can find those guys in the NFL that that teams have to cut because of salary cap implications and things like that. So again, when I hear this stuff about, you know, well, you know, we haven't been good because our salary cap situation hasn't been good. And all this, stuff. come on, folks, you really think that that's what the problem has been? Has it, has it made it more difficult? Sure. But again, when, you, when the Detroit Lions draft Panay Sewell and Aiden Hutchinson, and all of a sudden they go from maybe the biggest joke of a franchise in the NFL to 9-8 and eight and an up arrow franchise, you don't think that changes up the course of things? You don't think Detroit's on its way up? You don't think Detroit has an up arrow next to its name? Absolutely they do. Because they develop players at key positions that influence games. And we haven't done that. Maybe it'll all happen this year. I'm confident that it can certainly happen this year. But if it doesn't, it's not because of our cap situation or, you know, again, these vagabonds that we signed that we're never going to develop anything. The germane of of the world. Like, what are you going to get out of guys like that? I don't care if they're on one year contracts for 40 bucks. Why even spend the 40 bucks? You'd be better off just to have a ghost on the on the outside of your offensive line. There are plenty of bargains to be had in the NFL, and and we don't influence the game. We, we don't, again, that's why Terry Fontenot is here to help find those kind of bargain bin guys. Again, Cordero Patterson's a perfect example of that. Cordero Patterson's been worth every dollar that the Falcons have spent on him. He's helped this offense out immensely, and he's going to continue to help this offense out. But we don't draft at key positions. We don't influence the game where it matters most. That's why we've gone five years without not just being in the playoffs, but without even having a winning record, not because of our cap situation. Every team deals with cap casualties and cap purgatory. That's how you live in the NFL. You live on the edges. Unless you just drafted so well, you know, again, and, and by the way, when you do draft well, you better take advantage of it. You better take advantage of all of your top flight draft picks and and make sure that you not only hit on them, but you you put the reality of being a Super Bowl team into all of it. I mean, so again, I get frustrated when I think about all of this stuff, and the idea that the reason we're where we're at is because of our cap situation. No, we haven't influenced the game at key positions, and we had a terrible head coach that couldn't develop our personnel when we had it. Right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, as you know, FanDuel is America's number one sports book, and as football season is right around the corner, FanDuel's giving you a chance to win all season long. Right now, when you go to FanDuel.com. Bet on a Super Bowl winner, and you're going to get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you're going to get bonus bets for every victory. Bonus bets can be used on spreads, player props, over-unders, more, all kinds of different things. But go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And win all season long. Pick your Super Bowl winner, and you'll get bonus bets every time that team wins in the regular season. So who's had the most surprising season for the Atlanta Braves thus far? You know, there's a lot of good candidates that are available out there. I had somebody call in and talk about Spencer Strider, that he's obviously in his sophomore season has had a monster year. There are guys like Eddie Rosario, who's had a nice year. Obviously, Marcelo Zuna has had a nice bounce back year for this team. Matt Olson, in some ways, might be a surprise. Again, we knew he's a a good power hitting first baseman, <clears throat> but the idea that he's going to set the franchise record probably you know for home runs uh, that may have come out of left field you know again maybe we didn't see you know given what happened last year maybe we didn't see that situation but i'm going to go with an, and i want you to leave a comment you know in uh, in the uh, comment section about who you think the most surprising uh, who's had the most surprising season for the Braves i'm going to go with Orlando Arcia. I don't think anybody thought starting all-star shortstop. Look, he's he's at 14 homers having missed 20 games earlier this year. We could still be talking about a 20-homer guy at shortstop. <clears throat> Let's just say, worst-case scenario, he's about 17 homers and he missed 20-something games. I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't see the batting average of the 277. 336 on base, 841 OPS. Uh or sorry, no, uh f- uh 338 782 OPS. 14 homers, 47 RBI, 52 runs scored. Like we said, he missed 20 games earlier in the season. <clears throat> I don't I didn't see this coming at all. And for the 3 million dollars or whatever it is that we're paying him this year, It's been a remarkable season. I mean, he may literally be, for his combination of defense and offense, he may literally be the best bargain in all of Major League Baseball right now. He's certainly got to be up there. I mean, again, I don't know all the payrolls and all the salaries of all the guys and stuff like that. But when you talk about his production on his contract, nobody saw this coming. You mean to tell me that, when the year is over that if we sit back and look and let's say, you know, he's about 20 homers played really good shortstop and, and has, you know, hitting two seventy five or better. I, I don't know that anybody could have asked for anything more again, losing Dansby Swanson, who's one of the premier shortstops in all of major league baseball. And obviously he's look, he's, He's a guy that's having a monster defensive season. Again, he's one of the best wins above replacement players in all of Major League Baseball defensively. Um, he's still doing some good things offensively, but not having the kind of year that he did last year where he was almost 100 runs scored and 100 runs driven in. He's not maybe that kind of player, but again, for you know, fish heads and rice that were paying Orlando Arcia. You know, the, the idea that we've gotten an all star caliber shortstop season out of him with almost 20 homers and, and again, playing really good defense. He may not be Dansby level defense, but he's been fine. He hasn't, he hasn't hurt this club. He hasn't been, you know, a butcher out there in the, uh, at, at the shortstop. He's manned that position down. And the fact that he's contributed as much as he has. And we have talked about this bottom of the order. That's been the whole key to this Braves lineup is that their 7, 8, 9 hitters have had so much production and turn the lineup over so often that it allows, you know, whether it's Ronnie or Olsen or Riley or Ozzy, you know, to accumulate more at bats and more plate appearances. That's been the whole key to our lineup is just that 7, 8, 9 position have been so good and so productive that it makes us so deep where it hasn't been automatic outs at the bottom of our lineup. Well, RC has been a big reason for that. I mean, he's by and large hit, you know, in that seven, eight, nine spots all year long. And he's just had a, he's just had a out of left field type of season. So my pick for the Braves' most surprising season is Orlando Arcia. Uh, again, leave your comment. Let us know, you know, who you've got, because I think that the Braves have had a lot of these. I think Rosario, Ozuna, Arcia, maybe Matt Olson to a degree. Like I said, Spencer Strider, even Ronnie in some ways. I'm not sure that we saw Ronnie being a guy that would challenge for the batting title this year. He's been really good at getting on base the last couple of years. But I'm not sure that we saw that he was going to challenge for a batting title. And now he's hitting 333 I mean, I think he's top, top two, top three in the National League as far as the batting title goes. I'm not sure that we even saw that coming. We knew he had the power and the speed and everything, but I'm not sure that we saw 333 and almost 60 stolen bases. We were hoping for maybe a 40-40 season, but again, he may be 70 steals when all is said and done. So there's a lot of good candidates for the Braves. Leave us your comment. Let us know who's had the most surprising season for the Atlanta Braves. My vote goes to Orlando Arcia, who's having a year that we did not see coming at all, coming completely out of left field for basically pennies on the dollar, fish heads and rice, as far as salary goes. All right, as you listen in, make sure to go into whatever podcast platform that you listen on and leave us a comment and let us know, too, that you're also an everyday listener to the program. So as you tell us, who's your most surprising brave. Also let us know that you're an everyday, or as we like to say, you are listening in five days a week, we thank you so much for being a part of our growing community. So ESPN was talking about floors and ceilings for NFL teams. And when it came to the Atlanta Falcons, they were talking about the idea of what their floors and ceilings could be where, They think that if everything goes well and everything is on par, they could be 11 and six. Now I think that's what our ceiling is as well. I I think that we're 11 wins at our peak. I think we're about 10 wins. I've predicted 10 wins this year, 10 and seven, but 11 and six is probably our peak. I don't think that we're a 12 or 13 win team. That's the elite teams in the NFL. Even one or two games above 11 and 6, when you start getting into 12, 13, 14 wins, that's elite status. That's the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Buffalo Bills and teams like that. I don't think we're there at that level yet, or the Bungles even. I don't think we're at that level yet. But I certainly think that 10 wins is a realistic number to get to. But what surprised me is that they talk about the floor of the Atlanta Falcons and they say that the floor of the Atlanta Falcons comes out to about a 5 and 12 season in a nightmare scenario and i kind of scratch my head but okay so quote this this is from espn's article quote if the falcons first year coordinator is able to create a pass rush With Calais Campbell, David Onyamata, Bud Dupree, among others, surrounding defensive tackle Grady Jarrett, Atlanta could get its offense more possessions. The aggressiveness could also help with creating turnovers, and the secondary has a lot of talent, including former first-round picks A.J. Terrell and Jeff Okuda at cornerback. So it doesn't sound like they look at the idea of our pass rush getting that much better, or, you know, again, can we create turnovers and different things like that? But when they talk about the nightmare scenario of five and 12, see, that tells me that they don't know about the Atlanta Falcons. You know, I've said that I, I, think, our, I think our floor is seven or eight wins. Now, like, again, we could still be close to 500 team, even if things bottom out for us. Even if Desmond Ritter doesn't play well and we still can't generate a pass rush, I don't think that we take, I don't think we take a step back below what we've been the last two years at seven and 10. I just don't see that we're coached really well. We have person, we have much better personnel than we've had for the last two years. And we finished seven and 10. I don't see how we could be worse with the same good head coach that we have and have better personnel. You would think that even if things bottom out, Our personnel being better probably wins us a game or two, you know, more than what we've been able to the last couple of years. So that's why I say, I don't think the Falcons floor and ceiling is drastic. You know, I think we're seven or eight wins on the bottom end and 10, 11 wins on the top end. And that's a pretty navigating, um, you know, navigating window to kind of put the Falcons into. And and I don't think that we have that five and 12, four and 13 type of season in this we're coached too well. And and there's even if Desmond Ritter doesn't play well, and they talk about Ritter bottoming out and things like that, but you're not going to put Desmond Ritter in a position where he's having to go out and win you games. Now, again, can Desmond Ritter lead this team and help win games and all that? Yes, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting it on the shoulders of Desmond Ritter to have to go out and throw it 45 times a game and win you a football game. I'm not, that, That's what I'm talking about, that you put the brunt of everything on Desmond Ritter's shoulders, and he's got to be the main reason that we win games. No, we've got plenty of personnel on our offense. We have a really good offensive line, and we can run the football. Our playing personality isn't quarterback driven like a lot of franchises. You know, now that may be good, that may be bad. I mean, it you can debate the merits of all of that, but we're not a quarterback driven franchise. We don't have to have our quarterback be the MVP of the league. Now, again, if Desmond Ritter is the MVP of the league, that'll be great. And you know, again, we will be in the Super Bowl conversation but we're not relying on him to have to be an MVP caliber player for us to be able to win football games. Now, I'm hopeful, and again, this is still my fear going into this season, I'm hopeful that we can create a pass rush. And and based upon what I've seen so far in the preseason, we certainly had a pass rush against Miami, didn't have much of one against Cincinnati, but I'm hopeful, and I think that, Ryan Nielsen can dial up plenty of pressure. And I think once he gets these starters on the field, he's going to attack in all different angles and positions. Again, I don't take too much from preseason other than the fact of, can we win our one-on-ones? I just want to see us win one-on-ones. I'm not worried about scheme and things like that because you're not going to show anything in preseason. You're not going out there and trying to trick the offenses and you know all, disguise all these different things that's not what they're doing but if we even if we can't generate as much of a pass rush as we would hope for you would like to think that even if Katie isn't a 10 sack guy let's say he steps up his game but he's not 10 sacks okay if he's 5 or 6 sacks that's still more production than we've seen on the outside Onyamata and Grady can partner up with one another and create more pressure and more sacks. So again, do I think that we're 19-21 sacks? No, I think we're better than that. Are we 38-40 where I want us to be? I don't know. That's my question. But even if we're, say, 30-32 sacks, that's still a big step up from where we've been the last couple of years. So I don't think the floor at all makes sense. I agree with the ceiling. 11 and six is pretty much probably our peak point because you start getting into 12, 13 wins that, that gets us to elite status. And I don't think we're elite yet, but the idea of five and 12 as our floor, I don't think they've watched the Falcons. We've won, we've won seven games the last two years with not really good personnel. With, with without guys that, you know, really contribute and, you know, not factoring in key positional player. I mean, again, we've had 39 sacks in the last two years, and we've still won 14 games. Now we've lost 20, but we've still won 14 games. So I don't think the floor is realistic for the Falcons. I think the floor is seven or eight wins for the Falcons. I don't think we take a step back below what we've been the last two years. But as I like to say, that's why we play the games on it. So again, hopeful for this season. Certainly, I think that we need to have a winning record this year. But let's see what you know materializes out of all of this. But we're not a quarterback dependent team as far as trying to win football games. We've built a more complete roster than just having to rely on our quarterback to win games. All right, we thank you so much for making "Hitting Hard your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you listen on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we thank you so much for being a part of our community. You can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get the latest episodes of "Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta.